We are in the midst of Passion Tide. We are five days before the crucifixion of Jesus and eight days before Easter, his resurrection, that we are going to celebrate next week. Today, we have Palm Sunday, the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In all four acts, we have stories or every or all the four acts talk about this special event. Even the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 verse 9 said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, slowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And uh, who is meant by daughter Zion are the people of the holy city Jerusalem, and in a bigger sense, the entire people of Israel. Your king is coming to Israel, your promised Messiah, the one you are waiting for. He is here. And um, let us read... Matthew, Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And in contrast to all the rejection that Jesus had to suffer through from his own people before, he seems to command their reverence on this day that he rode into Jerusalem. He was rejected by so many people before and now he's glorified and worshipped and it seems the entire crowd, the entire people seem to revere him. And to express their reverence for him they took palm twigs and took their clothes and put them on the road before him and called out Hosanna in the highest, which means about help, Lord, save us, Lord. God chose this special day to reveal Jesus as the promised Messiah. And as such, 
he was glorified, he was worshipped, he got, finally, he finally got the glory and worship that was his due as the promised Messiah. And if the people on this day hadn't worshipped Jesus as the Messiah, then the stones would have done so. They would have worshipped him as king. And that is something that we can read in Luke 19 verse 40. I tell you, he replied, and that's what Jesus talks to the Pharisees, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And Jesus' kingship had to be revealed on this day. Nobody, absolutely nobody, would have been able to hold back this revelation. It was supposed to be like that. It was supposed to happen like that. And God wanted it so. Jesus is king. He's the savior of the world. And God has the power to take the glory and worship that is his due. And if the people hadn't worshipped him, he would have moved the stones to worship and praise Jesus. But how much more glorious and precious is it for Jesus when we as his children just give him our love and worship from the depths of our heart and that he doesn't have to take the praise and worship that we give it to him out of our own free will that we gift it to him from the depths of our heart and that we recognize Jesus you are king you are savior and we worship you and raise you up and just like back then when the people were putting down the clothes and palm twigs before Jesus on the road as a sign of reverence and worship just like that we should give him and lay out our lives in front of him to put them down before him Jesus you are king of my heart you bought me with your blood I'm yours and here is my life I lay myself down before you entirely do with my life what pleases you you are king and this this is what pleases God this is a beautiful sound in his ear when we praise and worship him as king and recognize him as king and not only with our voice but with our entire lives and so let us in a world that in a world that like back then rejects the savior rejects the king rejects Jesus as the king let us lift up Jesus as our King and recognize him and give him the praise and worship that are his due in a world that just largely rejects him. Let us lift him up as King. And the worship of the Israelites on this day was true, it was real. But they raised up Jesus as their King with false expectations. Because the Jews back then, they were living under the oppressive rule of the Romans. And they were sort of, yeah, they were not free. They were living 
like unoppressed people, and so they were hoping that Jesus would bring about a political freedom, that they that he would come as a king, and eject the Romans from Jerusalem and cast them aside and free the Jews so that they can finally be free in their own country again. That was their hope. And that was why they worshipped and praised Jesus as king. But Jesus didn't come to them as a sort of political rebel to free them from that oppressive rule. He came to save their hearts, to save them from sin because that was their greatest plight that they didn't recognize. They wanted God, yeah. They wanted a strong king like Jesus. Someone to stir up a bit of fracas. They wanted him in order to accomplish what they wanted, what they thought was good and right. And that's why they worship and praise them as their king. And even today, there are a lot of people that want a God that intervenes, that fights back evil and who brings about justice and peace. They want a strong God that just yeah, takes control and turns everything to good again. They want to believe in a God that matches their expectations and a God that fits in today's world. But just like the people back then, the people today don't see the real problem. They don't see the real problem that, that we as humans have. Jesus didn't die on the cross to sort of make our lives easier or better. He died to break the power of sin in our lives. The very thing that separates us from God. He came to bring about peace between God and us. And that is what he died for. That is what he took our sin up for on the cross so that we might have a good relationship with God, with our Heavenly Father. And um, as I was thinking about the situation on Palm Sunday and uh, as I was praying about this and asking God what do you want to tell us with this text today, I suddenly realized that even we as his follower have certain expectations for Jesus how he's supposed to act and what he's supposed to do in our lives and what he's supposed to bring about and um, yeah we pray for something but we already have a very clear image of what we want Jesus to do with what we're praying about we have a very clear image of that most of the time and we ask Jesus to guide us but we have a very, very clear image of what his will for us is supposed to be. Isn't it like that? We have this sort of attitude of expectation. We have certain ideas about how Jesus is supposed to intervene in our lives. And if that doesn't happen, then we get angry. We pray, Lord, according to your will. But in truth, we have this expectation that the Lord just blesses our way, that he opens those doors that we want to go through. 
we maybe don't have that openness to that flexibility to go through the doors that God opens that might be completely different to the ones that we are imagining. And then the things that we want don't happen and the doors that we want to open don't open. And Jesus doesn't react like we want him to. Or how we think is right and good. And then we are disappointed. Then we're disappointed in Jesus. And we might become bitter against him and say things like, Jesus, you didn't do things that were good and right in my life. Even though I asked you, you didn't do it. We're disappointed. And we say things like, Jesus doesn't listen to me. He's not loyal. He didn't act like how I expected him to. And uh, I had to think about Peter. And uh, well, whether where they had the situation where Jesus asked his disciples, "What, who do the people think I am? And they answered and said, So he asked them, who do the people think I am? And his disciples answered and said, Some think you are John, others think you are a prophet, and others think you are a liar. And uh, then Jesus asked them, But you, who do you guys think I am? And then Simon Peter answered and asked, And he said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then a short while later, we read in Matthew sixteen twenty-one to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. You are king, I just testified that you are not going to be killed I have completely different expectations for you we're going to go to Jerusalem and you are really going to be king in Jerusalem and what did Jesus reply to that Jesus turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan you are a stumbling block to me you do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns That was Peter's wish, that was his expectation, his human expectation. But it wasn't God's plan, not for God, not for Peter. We think in a very human way. And our expectations and prayers, they are just about us. They're coming from us, from ourselves, from our pride and ego. We think we know God's plan and we think we know what's good and right for us and what we have to go through and don't have to go through. And as Jesus was praying in the garden, he was pleading with his father and he said, Father, 
If it is possible, let this pass by me. Because Jesus is God, he knew exactly what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He knew from the tortures and suffering he had to go through and from the tortures death at the cross, he knew what was waiting for him. He knew that he had to go through this as humans, as a human. He knew that he had to suffer as purely merely human through this suffering to gain our salvation. And so he pleaded, my father, if it is possible, if there's any other way, may this cup be taken from me. And then what does he say next? Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, not according to my human thoughts and wishes to avoid suffering. Not according to my will, but according to yours. That is how we have to pray as well. Not according to my will, but according to your will, Father. Yes, we can bring our expectations and our wishes before God, but in the end. But we should always add at the end, but Lord, I trust you. Not according to my will, but according to your will. That shall happen in my life. When we truly follow Jesus, when we truly want to follow Jesus in our lives, then the Lord will arrange things in our lives so that we are pushed to the end of our own line. No longer I, but Jesus, you and your will, that this is what we pray at the end. That is the goal. Where Jesus wants to guide us. He wants to push us to the edge of ourselves, where we just surrender ourselves entirely to God. Not I, but you. I am yours, and your will may and shall happen. And after Jesus admonished Peter, he said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And that is exactly what I just told you about, guys. This is what this verse signifies. I don't know what expectations you have for Jesus in your life. What specific circumstances you have going on in life right now where you pray and think that Jesus is supposed to do certain things and make certain things come real. Maybe you have a certain specific image of what's supposed to happen next. And I just tell you from my own experience that I'm very thankful that it was not my will and what I wanted from Jesus for my life. That that is not that what came to fruition entirely in the end. Because then, otherwise, I wouldn't be here today with you guys. I'm thankful that God broke me down and that he led me to a point in my life where I was just at the end of my own line. And I was just on my knees crying and praying, not according to my will, but according to yours. Not how I wanted to be, 
but how you want it to be. God has a plan. And that plan is oftentimes not easy, not smooth, but it's good. It's the best. It is full of challenges and hurdles, but in the end, ultimately, it's the best. And he wants to make use of every one of us, so just lay down your life before him and say, not according to my will, but according to your will. And back to Jerusalem, to the Jubilus Mass. When they realized a couple of days later that uh, Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah that they were hoping for, that he didn't fulfill the expectations that they had for him, the mood soured. And the same people that were just glorifying him and worshiping him and crying out Hosanna in the highest, they were now crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Only very few recognized Jesus as the Messiah's that he wanted to be for them. The Messiah that frees their hearts and forgives them for their faults. And so we read in Luke 19 verses 41 to 42. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And just like we heard about uh, in our recent sermons about Romans, God reached out to his people again and again and he met them. And on this certain specific day, he revealed Jesus as the promised Messiah in Jerusalem and told the people, here, here he is, here is the Messiah that you are waiting for, he's here. He's the Messiah that saves. He revealed it to everyone. But they didn't want him, they didn't recognize him as the Messiah he was supposed to be. And John 12 verse 37 says, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Through all the miracles that Jesus did and all the signs he performed, they could have recognized him as the Messiah, as the Lord but they didn't believe in him. And in John 1 verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And uh, another part we also hear, Jesus sort of complained the same way about this in Matthew 23 verses 37. 
He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you were not willing. Even back in the Old Testament, God sent out the prophets and talked to the people through the prophets. But they didn't want to hear anything from God. They stoned the prophets. They sent them away. God wanted to, and he reached out to the people. And then he says, but you were not willing. I wanted to, but you were not willing. And that is a title of a sermon from Charles Spurgeon uh, that talks about this Bible verse. I wanted, but you did not want me. And that reveals the dilemma that God has done every conceivable thing to care for his people, to protect it and to save them. But they were not willing. And that, exactly that, is the reason for Jesus' tear and his lamentation. And this is exactly what he saw and this is what his heart broke about. He wanted to save them from the consequence of their rejection. He wanted to save them, but they were not willing. How much compassion and rejected love must have been in the face of the king as he said these words and there were tears running down his face. That is what Spurgeon says in his sermon. And then circa 70 BC, so about 40 years later, the Romans conquered Jerusalem. And they built a wall around Jerusalem like it was foretold in these verses. And they completely isolated the city and left everyone inside to starve. And after everyone was dead, they completely destroyed the city. So there was no stone left upon the other. And Spurgeon says about this, there is nothing in history that overshadows this horror. But even that is nothing against the destruction of a soul. And even that is nothing against the destruction of a soul. Just like Jesus cried over Jerusalem on this day because he wanted to save them from their rejection of him. He wanted to save them from what was coming for them. Just like that, he cries about every single human that rejects him as king and savior. His heart is breaking for them for every single one. When we live in sin, removed from Jesus, he doesn't hate us. He suffers with us because he knows that our sin and our rebellion against God destroys our lives entirely. And that is why he is crying. And even today, just like then, God reveals himself to the people through his word that we have, through his followers whose lives speak from Jesus and also through his beautiful creation. 
It's a beautiful creation that brings forth new life. He reveals himself as the living and good and loving God. And in Romans 1 we read that since the creation of the world, his works are a visible proof for him, the invisible God, a proof for his eternal power and his eternal being. God is revealed and Jesus is revealed as king, as the savior of the world. He is recognizable as the king. Do you want to worship him and raise him up as your king? Do you want to praise him and sing Hosanna in the highest? Lord, help me and save me. Become king of my heart. Jesus says to you today, I want to, I want you, I want to be your king in your life. I want to save you. I want you. Do you want me to? Are you willing to? Just earlier we read the verse from John 1. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then it continues. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you are willing, you just have to reach out to Jesus and say, Lord, become you become life in my life. You become king in my life, in my heart. Save me from my sin that I have before the Lord. Cleanse me and make me as a child of God. And if you take him up in your heart, you have the right to be his child. Everyone who believes in him. It's not more complicated. It's just as simple as that. Believe in Jesus and you are saved. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are revealed to us. And we recognize and understand if we hear for the first time or for the hundredth time, we recognize that you are revealed as king. And if it hasn't happened before, you reveal yourself today as the Lord and Savior of the world that everyone needs in order to have a good relationship with God, in order to be safe from sin. And from the consequence of sin to be saved from that for eternal damnation and I ask you father that you move our hearts today and pull them towards you today where you call out to us I want to and I just ask you and pray that every single one who's here today calls back to you I am willing to I want to I want you to be king in my life and for all of those who follow you, already follow you for a long time, that they realize that they shouldn't follow, that, don't, that they don't follow their own expectations, but that they surrender to your will, that they say we want to follow you and we want to surrender our lives to you and lay them down before you and say we are yours. You paid for us with your precious blood. We belong to you. Our lives no longer belong to you. 
please help us that we don't take it back and lead selfish and self-led lives but that we leave that up to you that we live our lives with you that we say today we want you to be king of our lives not according to my will but according to your will your life shall realize itself in our lives and we pray that you enable us that we can lay down our lives before us and realize that you are good and I don't know what that might look like for every single one here but it's the best thing to lay down our lives in front of you and to surrender them to your will help us to trust you and to give ourselves over wholly to you we praise you and worship you as our king here in our midst in our rooms it's easy to do that but we also want to do that as soon as we step out in our everyday lives wherever we may go that we realize and proclaim you as lord Help us with that, that we can have that trust and faith in you. Be you powerful in us. And reveal yourself for us, in us. Amen.